Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Ada. And I'm Thibaut. Every two weeks, we interview top leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. And every other week, we'll share tactical tips and insights on how to start conversations, generate opportunities, and close deals faster. We are on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever. Yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs. If you want to submit your questions and guest suggestions, you can join the T-shaped sales community. It's a 10 euro month subscription where you'll get access to one new tactical training every month, a community of sales reps and exclusive events and discounts. Join today and get one month for free at www.saleslabs.io slash TSC. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. I welcome to this new episode of the B2B Sales Podcast. So today I'm receiving Oliver, who's the VP of Sales of Personio. I tried to say his name many times, but uh, didn't manage. So uh, <laughs> Oli, uh, I'll let you actually uh, present yourself. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, Thibault. Uh, great to be here. Um, and um, yeah, I, you know, my family name in English or in any other language than uh, Sober Croatian is really tough to pronounce. So, I, I, you know, no concerns. <laughs> okay, okay. It's the same with me in French. So we at least we don't have to get it wrong. But uh, yeah, <laughs> cool. So yeah, Oli, thanks for for joining us on the on the show. Um, so obviously, Personio, everyone knows about about Personio. Uh, you've seen like a crazy growth in the last uh, you know two years. And today we're going to talk about how you scale the team from I think few employees in sales to over a hundred full time employees. And have you done it outside of US? Because it's very common in the US, but it's not so common in Europe. So um, before we dive into that, can you maybe tell us more about you, your background? Yes, absolutely. So um, I joined Personio three and a half years ago. Um, for those who don't know Personio, just a quick uh, summary of what we're doing. Uh, we are basically a software as a service vendor offering um, um, like a comprehensive um, HR solution for small, medium business companies. Like deliberately, we're not going into the enterprise space because we see that there's a huge market opportunity in this um, yeah, small, medium business sector. Um, if you want to learn more, just visit personio.de or personio.com. And uh, before I joined Personio, I've been 11 years in this business. So um, half of that 11 years as an AE uh, doing the sales myself and then moving more and more into uh, management or more senior management roles, partly in Europe, partly in Asia. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here and experiencing this um, this craziness. Let's put it this way. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think the first time we, we talked, it was like at, right at the beginning of the of the pandemic. Um, obviously, things have changed. Uh, Personio has been growing quite a lot, also into this kind of remote or this weird world we're living in. So can you tell me a bit more about like this high growth you've been facing and how you've managed all that, having people yeah. kind of, like, you know, not being in the office or, you know, inside? Yeah. Uh, yeah, happy to do so. I mean, uh, I think we've been growing very fast ever since. So this is not just a, let's say, a phenomenon of the last two years. Uh, we've been uh, we've been founded uh, around of, uh, 2015, 2016, depends on where you actually set the stamp precisely. Um, and so uh, when I joined, the entire organization uh, was um, at around um, 75 people. Um, and um, the sales team was like seven or eight people um, that I inherited when I joined Personio. And my job was basically um, 
to develop this inbound driven organization product led into um, a hybrid organization that kind of like exploits all channels um, of um, sales. And um, yeah, we, we then started to hire more people. We started to build out new functions and so on. And I think um, in 2019, it kind of like kicked in that, you know, we might even need to think a little bit bigger. And um, while 2019 from a scaling perspective uh, was a challenge, but we still had the comfort of everyone being in the office and we kind of like just moved at the beginning of the year into a nice office. So we wanted to make people feel comfortable and this kind of like social interaction, um, especially as we have a lot of young people just coming out of uni, um, it's an important element to manage this type of growth. So you need to give them more than just, okay, here's a job and do it. Uh, you need to give them a bit, um, uh, you know, like a, a feeling of meaning. You need to give them some context with uh, with what's happening here, because for them, just the job is not just a job. Um, long story short, then 2020 happened, COVID and so on. And um, in, in spring 2020, we kind of slowed down a little bit because every company was uncertain. Uh, luckily, we didn't have any layoffs, so we were not in the need to uh, uh, let people go, which is really great. We, we honored all the, um, you know, like uh, 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 employment agreements that we signed. So some people start still, but basically the hiring curve started to flatten and uh, we were observing for a few months. And then around summer, we realized, oh, shit. We have to get going because yes, we're impacted by ho this whole thing, but not only in a negative way. And uh, one of the big learnings at the time was that then shifting from this office setup, which had a lot of advantages in terms of onboarding people because you can learn a lot around the job, shifting into the remote set setup gave us you know, a tough time because people were not sitting next to each other or SDRs cold calling, um, two challenges. One, your target is not in the office, so where to call? And then secondly, uh, having the mental resilience uh, sitting in your, uh, you know, a small flat at home and uh, doing, I don't know, 100 cold calls a day is, yeah, I would say not an easy task. And uh, I have all, uh, you know, all empathy for the team that, you know, really um, managed to plow through this challenge and, and, and did a great job. So uh, that's part of that, why we are still growing really fast. And now in 2021, we've seen um, a massive acceleration of our growth. Uh, which uh, I would say surprised us also a little bit. We knew that, you know, we expect strong growth, but we'll probably more than double this year, uh, which at the stage where we're at um, is, uh, is um, yeah, can't be taken for granted. Let's put it this way. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because I remember like, uh, uh, you know, you have companies, for example, like Pleo, you know, uh, yeah, I was thinking, okay, their business model is basically dead because uh, like you have like uh, expense management, you know, which is something very common when you're traveling. There's so much to do, but now it kind of disappeared. But what we figured out is that people are spending or still spending. They still have this kind of need to uh, be able to access something and the person, you know, they can't go to someone and ask them. So uh, you've seen crazy, crazy amount of money in this in this domain too. So that, that was very interesting. And I am. I think yeah, everyone thought, okay, we're in for a big crisis in terms of like uh, money. We didn't see it so much in our, especially in our environment. Uh, yeah. We'll see if it comes uh, when the helicopter money stops. We'll see about that. <laughs> but um, it's been very interesting. Like I've never, I've never expected that the shift would go so much in favor of employees. Uh, you know, in in kind of like choosing where they want to work or how they want to work. But yeah, it's it's been very interesting. And you talked about like uh, onboarding new people. 
So how did you tackle the challenge of not having them on site, maybe starting as cohorts physically? What were the things you, you did uh, as an organization to solve that? Yeah. I mean, first of all, we talked with the people. So we wanted to understand where they really struggled. Uh, and then um, we started with um, like smaller steps, smaller solutions. There, there was not this one silver bullet. We say, okay, buy this tool and then this is solved. Obviously, there's also these type of like uh, sales uh, enablement tools popping out. And um, what, uh, what we did, we figured then for every area where we had problems, um, individual solutions. So for example, the SDRs, we said like, look, um, after, you know, like the, the first lockdown and then in summer last year, we allowed them preferred to come back to the office because they had the biggest benefit of sitting there in a group, um, obviously uh, less tight than it was before with less people in the office. So under all, Uh, how to say, uh, regarding all of the restrictions and conditions for people to be in the office. But still for them, it was like a, how to say, a big relief that they don't have to sit at, at home alone and then do these uh, callings. Or we allowed uh, people or offered them the doing to do pairs. So sometimes they then spent the home office together at one place if, you know, like uh, space would allow. Uh, but then also we had more um, enablement bites, if you want to call it like this, so that when you think about um, this whole exercise, everything being online, at some point in time, fatigue kicked in. And I think uh, that's the reason why once, you know, all the restrictions are gone, people are going to flood back to in-person meetings. Um, uh, we, we basically make these interactions shorter so that the people don't have to invest so much like mental energy into one meeting. Uh, and make it more digestible for them. So these are just two examples. Um, there were a few things more, but um, the, the, the size of factors, like talk to your people and try to understand what's, what's the challenge and how to tackle it. Okay, okay, very interesting. I mean, for me, like in my job, uh, it's been the best thing that could happen because when you think about sales training, uh, it's often like on-site, eight hours straight. And you know, after two hours, everyone's like tired. Then people go mm -hmm. for lunch, then they come back and they all sleep. So it's really hard to get the attention of people. It's really draining. And uh, everyone's like involved for eight hours straight. And it's, it's super tiring and costly also for the time you're, you're spending. Now, you know, okay. it's sessions of one hour and a half, homework before, uh, you know, preparation. And then you just like take this time you have together to really have conversations. So it's a lot simpler on everyone else, on, on everyone, basically. So for me, I'm like... I really love the, the the fact that I just don't need to go on site and spend eight hours straight. I can really just work in a more normal schedule. And I think like people really love this um, asynchronous kind of communication because a lot of time in organizations, you have like meetings that are just there because, oh, we have to do a sales meeting or we have to do this kind of meeting. And then, you know, like uh, I think this this has changed all these requirements. So I think that's, uh, that's actually very interesting stuff. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think... I think this, um, uh, there's definitely parts of that shift that we'll maintain. So um, I think also sales training, uh, you, you, you might have sessions in person. I think it's good, for, I don't know, for starts, for kickoffs, for longer sessions, but then yeah. more digestible sessions. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, in this, uh, this growth from, you know, a few sales employees to over 100, did you see like distinct phases of, uh, you know, like specific goals, specific things? let's say, following the timeline of a number of employees. Um, sorry, could you repeat the question? There was just a break in the connection. Yeah, no worries. Did, did you see some kind of uh, uh, distinct phases between, um, uh, you know, like in your growth? So in the journey to 100 uh, full-time employees, did you see like some, some kind of like phases that were clearly distinct? Mm -hmm. 
uh, every phase had his certain distinction because when you think about it, like when I took the team, I had literally only direct reports. Yeah. Then I installed the first team lead. Then I installed the first head off that then started to install team leads uh, below themselves. So at some point in time, um, I had a hybrid organization of a head off team leads and still direct reports, ICs. Mm -hmm. And um, then from some point on, you start, you needed to converge that into a more harmonized structure though, that you can start to focus on the things that at this point in time start to matter more. Mm -hmm. And um, I was also kind of like running sales operations. So at that time, we moved also from our previous CRM to a new CRM. And um, we had to manage this while we we're growing that um, simultaneously. Yeah. And uh, long story short, there were all these kind of like maturity projects that then also made my role change constantly, I would say every six months or something like that, yeah. without even someone telling me, uh, hey, here's your new job, that's the profile. <laughs> it was more like, okay, figure out what you need to do to get to that point or even beyond. And I mean, uh, we're not done with 100 people. And uh, just to mention that these 100 people are just for the German speaking markets. So okay. Austria, Switzerland and uh, uh, Germany. Um, there, there's another at the moment, I think 50 or 60 uh, salespeople for um, international markets. And I think by the end of the year, we'll probably be around, I don't know, 250 or something like that in DACH and in international. So in DACH alone, it's going to be around 140. And then international uh, salespeople as well. So we're scaling uh, at these levels or we're continuing to scale. And... Uh, you know, I, I didn't I didn't box those those phases because they're also not like, okay, the phase is now done and the next one starts, it's kind of like melting and blending into each other. And then at some point in time you achieve a milestone. So for example, by now I have only head offs reporting into me. Yeah. So I have now two full management lines um, in my organization completed and who knows what will then come after. Okay. Okay, I see. And so what would you say is the uh, I don't know, like the you as a VP of sales, like what are like like your key initiatives or or let's say your North Star, if we talk like Americans, what's the <laughs> one thing you have to keep in mind like whenever you are growing from just a few employees to a hundred, what's your North North Star? Yeah. I think it's recruiting. So um, obviously productivity is key. If you just recruit people and they're not productive, then you have a you have a big problem. But um, you can also have great productivity, but not enough people, then you have the same problem. Yeah. So um, revenue is obviously the ultimate, ultimate output. That, that's the question. Sales, there's actually like, if you don't bring in the revenue, everything else is kind of like meaningless. But um, uh, we've been able to scale a little bit independent of headcount, but headcount is still a big scaling driver. So our um, APAs have increased, our conversion rates have improved and so on. But without the people, without bringing in enough people, you can't actually deliver those targets. Mm -hmm. And therefore, recruiting, but that has been across the entire company, I would say the biggest challenge um, that uh, we have to tackle. If we don't get that right, we'll fuck it up. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about the challenge in recruiting, especially around, uh, I mean, you about around DAG and salespeople? It's uh, something very common, but can you tell me a bit more about the challenge you, you faced and how you solved them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we deliberately already at the very early stage said we don't want to hire two senior people. Uh, we want to occasionally bring in external experience in, um, sometimes on management, sometimes on IT, IC level. But we want to come to a point where we can actually produce everything that we need, the talent from within and develop it. And I think we are now more or less at this point. Mm -hmm. So... 
Um, it takes a while, so it's also not like, okay, this is just now starting and beforehand it was everything external. No, you need to build it up. So we have people that are with the company, for example, for five years, so even longer than I, and um, they, they've been basically developing from being an intern to now a top salesperson in the org, uh, delivering uh, numbers we didn't expect three years ago that they would even be possible on an individual level. Mm -hmm. So um, long story short, I think the, 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 the key to, to our ability to do that was this deliberate decision to build this kind of like sales school for entry-level positions, yeah. educate the people with that, give them a career path and an incentive to maintain at the company uh, for a longer period of time. So I think our attrition is around 12 or 13% in sales, mm -hmm. which I think for sales organization is relatively low. Um, and uh, you could even challenge, maybe it's too low, but this is mainly driven because we give the people like enough learning experience um, throughout a period of time. Yeah. yeah, I think that's very interesting. I talked to a lot of uh, sales leaders or first time like head of business development who are building like uh, SDR organizations. And very often they, they talk to me and they say like, after like one month or two months, they let's say on a cohort of 10 people, there are four people who, who quit. And I'm like, wow. And uh, often, you know, I, I don't know exactly what's the cause. Some people are just like, they pick the job they could take. Uh, and, you know, like often it's startups with not so many, so much budget. So yeah, obviously it's tough, but I think it's, it's also like, um, they, they don't see a career path, you know, they just like, they, they go in here and then they, they expect to find people who will like maybe show them, mentor them, make them grow. And then they see they're on, you know, by themselves, their head of, or their VP of sales or the person who is there has barely more experience than them. And then they just have this, uh, you know, like they expect it to do a lot of things. They don't have so many resources and then quickly they're like, okay, just like, I can't work for that. So is it something you, you faced, maybe not in your organization, but does, does, it, does it sound like a, like a good interpretation? I mean, I can't, I can't speak for others. I, like what you're describing is not, uh, not alien to me. Um, I think we've been lucky in that sense that, A, we're very rigid on our, um, like we, we recruit less than 1% of the applications that we receive, I think 0.8%. So if we want to hire um, uh, eight people, we need to get thousand applications. So that's that's kind of like a, a ridiculous uh, ratio. Um, but on the other side, it ensures that you know, like the people that we bring on board, that there's a high cultural fit. Why is that important? So that person might be wrong for a role as an SDR after three or six months. We figure it out. But maybe that person has other qualities we need in other departments. So it helps us to substitute the recruiting requirements in other areas. So we had many people uh, that, um, for, I would say, so one, we didn't have so many who kind of like moved out, but probably 50% of the people that felt like, hey, sales is not the right job for me, found a job somewhere else in the company. Yeah. And um, recruiting is very cost intensive, uh, whether you do it in-house or whether you hire um, external recruiters, we all know that's ridiculous. And if yeah. you then hired someone and then you lose that person, I mean, that's, that's a high, high waste uh, uh, element. And if you can reduce that, it gives you a high deal of efficiency. And uh, I mean, sure, um, you can argue like, hey, I want to have only A players that deliver 110%, but let's be realistic. How many organizations have only A players who deliver 110%? So you need to, to work with the people you need to invest into them and we've seen people who struggled in the beginning uh, we invested into them and they became successful but we've also seen the opposite and i think you need to you need to um 
how to say work on these elements. Um, uh, maybe just the last comment on that. Uh, after now a few years that we see this the sales organization evolve, we have people that are with us for a couple of years that are still maturing in their productivity. Yeah. So, so like someone who is two three years in not this ideally same role, but kind of like doing this sales track. This person is much, much more productive than someone who's been three years in the job and then comes in. So it's hard to quantify in terms of money. Okay. And you, you talked about A players and top performers. Like uh, when you have companies that go and grow that fast, you often, let's say, will have someone who, who, who will take like a lot of responsibilities. And then as the company grows and mature, the, the responsibilities are kind of taken away. So how do you yeah. keep top performers? Like, uh, How do you make sure they just don't go uh, to the competition? Because obviously competition or, you know, being any, let's say, other SaaS employer or something like that. How do you make sure they stay and don't leave? Uh, I think the first thing is the culture in itself. So people uh, should enjoy just simply working at Personio, regardless of what they're doing. And I think we're quite good at that. Um, so that means the <laughs> it may sound a little bit arrogant, but... Um, I would say there's only few competitors in the market that uh, could deliver a, a comparable employee experience as we are doing it. So most of our competitors, I would say, are not on the same level. Um, this is a deliberate exercise, like we want to be the best in that segment. And that's, I think, a reason also why we, we keep people. But obviously, you have to give them the right tasks. So, and that's the same thing, personal development. You have to invest the time. So we do, um, for example, when I talk for, uh, when we hire managers, I always ask them, what's your cadence with your, with your direct reports? How often do you speak to them? And then sometimes they tell me, yeah, I do once a month a forecast and once a quarter, a one-to-one -one on their development. Yeah. Come on, where do you want to get there? So that doesn't help you. It's, it will not, you know, allow you to build a relationship where you then actually have a strong people. And I remember... Um, a few years back with uh, one of our strong salespeople, uh, I had a conversation uh, where he basically opened up and told me that he's at the moment uh, interviewing externally, yeah. which, you know, uh, the, the fact that he told me before he made a decision demonstrated, okay, we have a good, trustworthy relationship, and then we could work on it. Because like, you know it as well, like how many, how many recruiter requests does a, a salesperson at a good company get? I don't know, five a day? Yeah. So it's compelling. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And any company, not even good companies, if you are, let's say, in this market, <laughs> if yeah. you speak German and there's like, you uh, have two weeks of experience as a sales developer, <laughs> you get 10, 10 requests a day. Really, it's crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So it's fun because when I go, like, uh, I have one on ones with, uh, or, you know, tr like uh, uh, trainings with SDRs and juniors SDRs in Germany. Like uh, they sometimes share their screen on LinkedIn and you see recruiters, recruiters, like you just see that. It's crazy. So that's what, you know, we often, you know, we, we just don't see it. It's, it's not because we don't see it as leaders that it doesn't happen. So I think that's great what you said, where this person felt really that they, he or she could trust you. And uh, and as you said, you, you've worked on fixing that. So I think that's a, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, but you have to invest the time. So if you don't do it as a leader, if you don't, like many leaders in first-line roles, they want to do strategic projects. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, you can do that. But your first job is to take care of your team. If you don't do that, you have no other business to take yeah. care of. Like unless you don't have that on control, there's nothing else for you to do. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly why I uh, decided to work for myself. 
because I, I, <laughs> I like the thing is leading people, like uh, doing strategic stuff or whatever. There's always the most important is to manage people and uh, talk to them, spend some time, develop. And uh, it's a lot less glamorous than we think, you know, when you, when you're in there, it's just like every day, it's like some, sometimes you have to deal with terrible days and uh, yeah, it's, uh, you have to be done for that. I think you have to be kind of create, uh, build the skills for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, like everything that I'm saying may sound super smart, but I can tell you and assure you, like I learned this. This wasn't something like I did from the get-go perfectly well. Uh, I did a lot of mistakes in all those areas. And that's like how I'm coming to those conclusions, not because we planned it out right. Yeah. Uh, you know, like from the outside, Personio is a very successful company and it is, but we did so many things wrong. So we're just lucky that we did more right than wrong. And yeah. this is basically then the, the, the balance. Exactly, exactly. And when we were talking and preparing this uh, podcast, you told me about uh, a pipeline generation approach you have that is, uh, I think, very different from the one we typically see. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you think about um, outbound and inbound, that's a very traditional segmentation because some people are coming to you and some people you're approaching. Yeah. Uh, but actually, it's, from our perspective, just a substitute for different phases in the funnel. And we're transitioning more into view, okay, where is a person in the funnel on the journey from being unconscious to actually buying a solution? And we want to start to understand, like, what does it take to bring one person from one stage to the other? And I would say, once you are in an opportunity stage, this is a very common approach because, you know, the person enters the conversation, you're in discovery, qualification, then you find a solution, then you start to negotiate, then, I don't know, bring other stakeholders in and start to close the deal. So it's a very common approach, but in marketing, um, we haven't seen it so frequently. So it's been in pipeline generation a little bit less prominent mm -hmm. because it's also harder to quantify when you're in an earlier stage or to qualify, where is that person? Yeah. And that's where we want to invest and try to understand, okay, how can, we, how can we define those stages where a person right now resides and what does it take to activate that person to bring to the next step? Because we still have a vast market to go, but we also have an even bigger uh, or a, a growing group of contacts, of people, of accounts, of you know prospects in our system where we already had touch points with. And we need to work on them in a more productive way than just calling them up every, I don't know, three months and saying, hey, do you want to buy now? Um, you know, that's not inspiring. That's not compelling. And that's completely uh, disregarding actually the prospect. And try to figure out where the prospect is and then, help him move into the into the right direction and yeah. also a prospect could could move in those stages you know he could be in an opportunity state but then i don't know something happens and he moves back to um, somewhere in the middle of the funnel so that person's maybe not any more unconscious but definitely not close to buying anything okay and so what kind of tools of technology do you use for that um so <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're not we're not sure whether we have the right stack for that uh, but obviously um, you have to have um, let's say a capable crm slash marketing automation system but you also have to need to have um, you know um, enrichment systems that can gather you additional information that can help you to you know like improve the data set that you have around a person because sometimes you know um, even let's say someone has done three, four, five things on your website, but not everything is being put into the CRM system. Um, so therefore there's already a disconnect. The question is, do you need all these five things 
or are there, let's say, is there is there a summary of this that you can compile and put maybe, for example, in a score towards someone who's working on that? Yeah. And this is something that we're still figuring out. So we are, we're starting this journey or started it, uh, um, but we don't have everything yet in place. Yeah. The key is basically that the systems are connected and that you can kind of like condense information in a way because at some point you will have a lot of information. Yeah. How do you make it useful? How do you make it meaningful? Um, I think let's say sales technology is could be a separate topic for itself there's too many tools like you kill yourself with it yeah exactly yeah no i, th I think that's very interesting what we see in sales now i was talking yesterday with tom from uh, outreach the vp uh, emia and he was yeah. telling me see the future of uh, of sales as like a place where you know it's very similar to formula one where you have so much telemetry basically so much data you can collect that if you want to win the race, basically your job is to interpret this data in the right way. So you can choose the best technology, I don't know, the best wing, the best uh, wheel or whatever. And, um, and you know, then at some point, like make make like data-driven decision. And I think, uh, yeah, this, this kind of silos we see between CRM and lead generation, for example, and uh, all this stuff we have to play with in GDPR makes it complicated, but it's really about building this model, keep improving it, And, um, you know, it's just always gets better, always get more data-driven and more clear. And he was telling me something very interesting is about the, the stages you see in opportunities are just like a kind of risk management stages where you put in one, you know, in the stage you have like a closing probability and you're just like playing with your risk. And the goal is to remove these stages and know exactly each deal, like uh, what's the probability, but like at a very more granular level. So I think that's super interesting. That's really smart because... Let's say you do a webinar, you collect leads, and then you, you send these leads to code, be called called by uh, SDRs, just the worst thing you can do. So um, it's really about enriching, scoring, grading. And I think that's uh, that's very exciting, actually, for, for, for sales leaders to work on that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely um, a, good, a good analogy, I would say. Um, I mean, we are, we, uh, what we're also seeing is the convergence of tools. So, for example, um, at some point in time, they were very siloed. And yeah. now they're moving more and more and more into many different spaces. So they're not anymore like a, I don't know, call analysis tool, but they're now getting a deal management suite. Or they're not anymore a sales execution uh, tool like outreach, but they're also getting more into this, you know, analytics and AI game about yeah. like how to interpret that data. Um, what I'm curious to see is like, who will be actually the dominant driver there? Because... Um, at some point in time, you might have those three tools, but then they have so much overlap. So yeah. what, what remains? Good question. I think, you know, there's always between uh, what's very interesting and what I find is I find super interesting with, let's say, um, organizations, uh, sales enablement organizations in the US is that you never know if uh, the tool is really that good or they are really good at telling the story about the tool. And um, for me, it's really like, They raise money until a point where they manage to actually make the story they've been telling true, you know, by mm -hmm. providing the tool, the data, everything. Or at some point, they just fail to do it and then they, they disappear. So we'll see. I think it's really about who will, you know, for in this kind of really tight fight, who will manage to, to uh, keep telling the story, keep having enough money to tell the story, and then, you know, find a way to, to bridge the gap between the, the story and the reality. And then uh, we'll see. But it's, it's just very exciting to see the competition and uh, the money that is put into this space. It's Absolutely. Uh, 
Yeah. I mean, we, we, we have recently started to implement a tool that uh, might be a little bit surprise to a sales community. And um, I, don't, I don't want to advertise it, but uh, it, it surprised me as well um, in the quality of what, what we get out of it. It's Salonis. So um, probably you heard of them as a process mining company. And they're now starting to move with their approach into sales because sales is also nothing else than a process. And yeah. what, what is superior to many of um, other like tools that are giving you insight in your sales organization is they have this process perspective. So they help you understand the sequence and understand, okay, what is your successful sequence and what is your unsuccessful sequence? What are the patterns in it? And we've just started working with it. So I, I don't want to praise it too much in a sense that I would say like, okay, this is the new holy grail. Yeah. But um, it gives you an angle that none of the other tools so far had yeah. because none of them went into this kind of like visualizing the process and giving you a very tangible way to understand, okay, where are you right now? Yeah. And what are you doing? And what are the patterns of your process that are either successful or less successful? Um, many of them have been more like, okay, what kind of, calls did you had uh, when did you talk about pricing and when not so there is this component but it's not like start till end it's more yeah. like always certain certain examples out of it and uh, let's see how it works but um, so far I've, I've been skeptic in the beginning but now I'm starting to turn into a, um, a optimist around it <laughs> okay that's good yeah Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks, Oli. I was like really learned a lot from from the this talk with you. Um. Now you know is the time where you can talk about anything you want to talk about, like pitch anything. If you're uh, hiring, if you I don't know, like you have anything to talk about, the stage is yours. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, um, as I said, the biggest challenge is hiring. So yes, we are. Um, check out uh, our job section. Um, we have uh, roles uh, in Germany, in Spain in Dublin, in the UK, and in our latest office in Amsterdam. So if you not want to work in Germany, but also in other areas in Europe, if you're interested to join us, just uh, check out the sections or connect with me on LinkedIn and um, you know, send me a message uh, where you're interested in. And uh, I think uh, that's, that's, that's the one thing that I would like to advertise. Uh, but I can only say it's, uh, it's been an amazing ride. You know, like everyone says that. And uh, obviously, um, this is classified as advertising, but um, to me, working at Personio feels like my first job. You know, like when you come out of uni, you start anywhere. You don't have a clue about anything, regardless whether, uh, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be like crazy terrible, but there's a bandwidth. And yeah. everything within this bandwidth, as you as a person who doesn't have a clue about anything, you enter it and you love it because it's, you're learning a lot. You, your, yeah. your brain is being nurtured quite a bit. And me being here three and a half years, far away from board my brain is being nurtured every day and um you know that's why i'm enjoying it and uh, to me i also get recruiter requests definitely not not every day uh but to be honest i don't care i i couldn't care less at the moment okay now it's really nice nice to hear that and um i'll put like the carrier page in the show notes so people can uh, go and, and do that awesome so put your linkedin uh, page so you can get flooded with the uh, applicants and Perfect. Um, yeah thanks for coming on the show Lee and uh, yeah have a good day you too thank you as well Thibault thanks for listening to this episode if you like what you hear and you want to suggest a topic or a guest you can join the T-shaped sales community it's a 10 euro a month subscription where you'll get access to one new tactical training every month a community of sales reps and exclusive events and discounts 
Join today and get one month for free at www.saleslabs.io slash TSC.